<laughs> we have to find the joy where we can, y'all. We do. We really do. <laughs> record button it's not having it tonight it's like it knows we're about to get depressing honestly keep that in um hello <laughs> <laughs> hello and welcome back to hate spinnerbait the podcast where we hate spinnerbait but we do love dreams of going to california uh much like in newsies where they dreamed of going to santa fe corinna if that is even how you say her name has a dream <laughs> and that's about all i love about what we read this <laughs> week Anyways, y'all, I'm Bethany. As always, with me is Michael Ann. Michael Ann, how are you? How are you feeling after these chapters that we had to uh, read? So I put it off, put it off, put it off. Mm. So I read basically all of it last night. And I woke up mm. this morning and I felt hungover. I was like, yeah, oh, Lord. One sitting is that's rough. I get the procrastination because I too procrastinated quite a bit. Um, but I did read it. Chapter eight is it's long, mm. which is fine. Like I love a good meaty chapter, but it's long and it's depressing. And so I read that in one sitting, needed to take a pause after yeah. that. Came back, read I think nine and ten together, and then I did eleven last night. So I too read some of this just the other evening, but yeah. Y'all it's buckle heavy. up. This one, we're really getting rough tonight. It's because now I just feel like we need to say our drink of choices. We did some wine last episode because we needed it. Tonight I made tea. Um, I apologize. I have, I feel like so many episodes. I'm like, I'm sorry. I like have a thing. Um, this is what happens when you're in the service industry. You constantly have colds. Um, I have, I'm getting over some gunk. And so I, I made myself some tea. So hopefully I don't lose my voice. But also it just felt comforting. So um, hopefully we'll have a guest star, Andrew, bringing Michael Ann some tea. Cause I was like, doesn't that seem nice? And at a certain point I might need to make it a hot toddy cause mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. it's going to get intense, very intense. Yes. Trigger warnings all around here for this episode. We yes. are going to start seeing some physical abuse. We are going to see the side effects of abuse in pretty detailed and, uh, heavy manners. So Skip it if you want to. I would if I could. (laughs) (laughs) But we signed up to do every book in chronological order. Ding, dang it. And so here we are. We have to endure it. Uh, Again, I would just like to say, Sarah Dustin, beautiful work, important work. But God, after this reread, I really don't feel the need to revisit this Mm -mm. anytime soon. Gorgeous, gorgeous novel. But yeah, would you like to recap us before I'm going to stall as long as I can to have to not talk about this? (laughs) I'll make this the longest recap of all time. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate Um, it. So our main character is Caitlin. She has an older sister, Cass, who is, you know, kind of the perfect daughter, going to Yale, perfect grades, doing all this stuff. And 
on Caitlin's 16th birthday, she wakes up and Cass has run away to live in New York with some boy that she met and work on a Jerry Springer type show. This, of course, has completely destroyed the family. Everyone's acting like she's dead. It's absolutely insane. No one's paying attention to Caitlin. No, she might as well not even be there. Caitlin's family dynamic is her two parents. Her mom is a stay-at-home classic mom, and her dad is a professor. Um, and then their neighbors, Boo and Stuart, are their BFFs, and they hang out all the time, and it's it's real cute. Then she has her best friend, Rena, who is dating the football player, quarterback, whatever. Yeah. Is there a difference? There is. It's important. There, it's a distinction. It's a, okay. It's a, yeah, it's a position in football. <laughs> yeah. The big one. It's the one that like everyone usually knows on the team. You're like, oh yeah, the old QB. <laughs> yeah. You're like that guy. He's the, the, he's the best one. Whoop, whoop. Anyway, he's the star. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, she's dating that guy and Caitlin is dating a rich boy with dreadlocks, even though he's white. I don't get it. He is at this point just emotionally abusing her through your basic manipulation tactics like saying all of her interests suck and saying all her friends suck and isolating her and doing all that and then caitlin and what's his face rogerson have a mutual friend corinna and her boyfriend dave um, who yeah. live in a cute little farmhouse, and it seems like they have a pretty good relationship going on. And she is kind of Cass's stand-in for this novel, I'd say. Mm. That's fair. You know what I was just thinking of in the trying to make this the world's longest three cups, so we don't have to get in it to it. <laughs> it's that that meme from the Emperor's New Groove, where it's like he's talking about the plan. And people are like me when I'm writing an essay, like people always use it for that or whatever. And it's like yeah. the plan, the plan with the, uh, and it's like the recap. Well, here's on page one. Like, <laughs> Let's just reread it. Detailed. Let's just reread actually the first few times here so we don't have to get into this. So that's what just popped in my head was like the plan. Tell them the plan. Oh we'll man. As detailed as possible as we can into the plan. And then we won't have to do this. You know, what would you prefer, Michael Ann? Uh, me explaining to you the different positions in football or or recapping these next few chapters that we have to discuss. Because <laughs> we could just skip it and I could just talk to you about football. You might be bored to tears. But at be. least you won't have to talk about this a terrible abusive relationship. Oh, I guess oh, we'll boy. I guess we'll do our due diligence and we'll read. We'll discuss these chapters. Oh, man. there is, there's a lot to discuss. Yes, a couple quick questions for you. Okay. Yes. The first one is, what is on your cup? Oh, this is my life day cup. Um, so it's Chewbacca and his traditional Kashyyyk life day robe um, with his little hey. life day orb. So that's what that is. Yeah. Second question is, you're in the frozen room. So Correct. picture this. We got white bunk beds. We got Elsa, Anna, and Olaf. Yep. And then we have the evil dead. Uh, oh, it's... um. What are you saying? Like this guy in the corner? Yeah. Here? That's a King Kong poster. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I believe Kong Skull Island, to be exact. Yeah, there's Thor Ragnarok, Rogue One, and Kong, just randomly there. <laughs> yeah, everything else is like Disney 
Anna, Elsa, do you want to build a snowman? And then just randomly King Kong is chilling over there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really know why either, to be honest. I love it. I just needed to know those two things really bad. I was like, is that Drake? And then I was like, there. no, that, that's in a rope. And then I was like, and they're hairy? What the fuck is that? I had to know. <laughs> These are very important questions. Yeah, this is my my life day mug. Yes, I'm still using technically kind of Christmassy things, even though we're in January. But life day can be whenever you want it to be, everyone. It doesn't have I've, to be a stand-in for Christmas. I've never heard of it. So it could be literally any time of the year. And I would have no idea. That That is true. Life day comes from... Oh man, this is a way more fun thing to do than read the next two chapters <laughs> of this novel. Is from the Star Wars Christmas special, which came out back in like 1978. It was like in between the first movie and the second movie, because that was a thing that was big variety shows were obviously big to do in the 70s. And so it's a variety show. B. Arthur, who like is in the Golden Girls, like that B. Arthur, she is in it. For no discernible reason. Um, (laughs) It is technically the first time Boba Fett ever appears on screen is in this special. And Mark Hamill has so much makeup on because he had gotten in a car accident, which they then explain his scar in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. So he doesn't have to wear a bunch of makeup and look like a Ken doll. But oh man, it is caked on and he looks plastic. It's ridiculous um, for continuity. So he would look like Luke Skywalker from the movie that you knew and love. And Life Day is basically Chewbacca and his family are celebrating it and it yeah it's the Christmas holiday special or sorry the Star Wars holiday special it came out uh everyone hates it George Lucas would really prefer if we all forgot that it existed but everybody loves it just because it's like morbidly curious it's it's so bad it's good kind of a thing and Disney since they of course now own everything like they do started to steer into the skid because they realized that in the fandom, even though they buried this Christmas special and like no one watches it anymore, like it's not on circulation, but you can look it up online. They decided to start making merch of it and like at Galaxy's Edge and it's been a, it's been a big hit. And then when you're like in Batu, like they celebrate Life Day. So you're like, oh, happy Life Day to them instead of like happy holidays or whatever. Yeah. I have I to say Disney knows how to freaking market. God, I swear. I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but they know what they're doing. Yes, they they know how to make money off of you, and they they do it really well. They've succeeded with me, that is for sure. So, yeah, there you go. If you want to pick me up after, I I leave you with two pick-me-ups. I'm going to give everyone, I promised, a fun family anecdote at the end of this episode. I'll I'll save a good, sweet (laughs) one for y'all. And to watch that, the Star Wars holiday special, and you're going to be like, am I tripping on drugs? But also, <laughs> this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's okay, so I bad. have to watch it's it now. so bad, but it's so good. So, fantastic. Chapter eight. Shall we begin? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, here we go. All right. So, basically, she is taking the photography class that has been... They are in a photography class together, her mom and Boo, because originally she walked in on Boo and her mother having that conversation, and it was supposed to be Cass, and at first her mom kind of like poo-poos her, which is very rude, and then she's like, oh, no, you can. So she is in the photography class. So first things first, that's kind of how we start off. Then she's talking about her and Corinna and the like relationship that they are developing, which like you said, she's kind of stand in for Cass since Cass has kind of just up and left her. The one thing I think 
here on page 122. I highlighted this because I thought that this was very lovely. She says, but what I liked most about Corinna was that she liked me. She was pretty smart and funny, but I didn't feel like I faded out when I was with her. Like I always had with Rena and Cass. And I think that's such an important distinction. And I think it, like that is like how you should feel around friends. Mm -hmm. And often in friendships, women do surround themselves with people that kind of make them feel like crap or do kind of make them feel like they're the supporting character in their own life. And you should never feel that way. You should always feel, hang out with someone that you're like, oh, this person is awesome. And I think that they were the smartest, most beautiful, you know, like in Parks and Rec. And she's always like, you angel, beautiful mermaid child. Like, <laughs> I love Leslie and Ann's relationship. But they never outshadow the other one. Like, you should never feel like you're standing in someone's shadow with your friend. Like, they should be your equal. And I just love that. Like, I thought that was great that even though obviously she kind of found Corinna through Rogerson, like, I'm glad that she found this person because it seems like she's finally found an equal and not someone who, like, she surrounds herself with but also feels kind of overshadowed by for the first time in her life. So that's a positive. In the, in the, in the pros, we've got that going for her. <laughs> Mostly cons, Pro. but there's a pro for you. So that's nice. Um, just kind of talking about how we learned about a little bit about Corinna and Dave's history and how um, essentially she started dating Dave. And she also had a very similar upbringing, junior league mom, very kind of overbearing, wanted her to be perfect. And that's not what Corinna wanted. And so now she's like living in this little farmhouse, with a cute little dog and her boyfriend who Dave seems nice, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but also definitely, as we kind of learn in the next couple of chapters, like has his own issues. Like, I don't know what he's mm -hmm. doing with money and if he's working and what is going on. But it looks like Corinna is a lot of the burden of mm -hmm. money is kind of falling on her shoulders. So she's hustling at Applebee's, girl, been there, done that, Reach. mad respect. So yeah, so she's, you know, hustling at Applebee's while Dave is doing, we're not sure what with his money or if he's working. But yeah, she kind of, we kind of get to learn a little bit about how they kind of became an item, I guess, essentially at the beginning of this chapter. Oh, so then, yeah, so she's kind of filling us all in. So we're learning a little bit about Dave and Corinna's history. She's telling us what her mother is up to, which is basically collecting dolls and watching the Lamont Whipper show. We're entering into December, essentially here in this chapter. So we're kind of starting to get to the end of the fall term kind of into the winter ish months getting close to like Christmas time, I guess, essentially. Oh, so then they're in the photography class. I like the photography teacher. He seems like a nice dude. And she's talking a little bit about a trip they take to the like grocery store, essentially to like do an assignment and how like the different, I like, like she's kind of showing the difference between like her, her mom and boo and like what they decide to kind of photograph at the, the grocery store. Like her mom immediately goes to the flowers and boo's like being kind of abstract. And what we kind of find out is that Caitlin is actually pretty good at photographing people. Like she's good at reading people and that is, is kind of an interesting thing considering everything that's going on in her life. But yeah. Yeah. yeah she ends up being like the best photographer in the class which is yeah. pretty interesting. And then after they are doing that little photography thing, we kind of go back. She starts talking about how things are going bad in her cheerleading career. Mm. And then she's talking about Rena, And she says, the only thing worthwhile about practice was that I got to see Rena. And a couple things about this that I love is that Rena is dating the 
quarterback, Bill Skirt. Skirt. Um, skirt. 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 <laughs> Um, and <laughs> we have to find the joy where we can, y'all. We do. We really do. But she, they have friendship rings. Mm-hmm. Bill Skrick had already bought Rena a friendship ring, which is hilarious. And then we find out that Rena is two timing him with a college yeah. boy. Um, Jeff, yeah. who I'm sorry, Jeff, I have to break the news to you, and I, I hate to say this, but you're too old for her, and <laughs> um, you should be thinking about that more when you're making yeah. out with her in the mall. Yeah, just saying, um, Jeff. But we can see what I wrote here is that we can see Rena's like mother's romantic dysfunction mm-hmm. back on Rena here. She's one hundred percent. Yes, yeah, like mother, like daughter on that one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Also, I yeah. find it interesting that Bill and Rena are telling each other that they're saving themselves for marriage. But like yeah. earlier in the book, Rena like basically implied that the reason that they were together was because of the sex. So now I'm confused yeah. as to what she meant by that. Maybe Bill. Like- Bill seems. I mean, obviously, Rena is two timing him, so we know Rena's not saving herself for marriage. Yes. But yeah, but I. It, yeah, the whole reason I thought they got together was because it was like, right, cheerleader quarterback. He was all like wanted to be with her. Like it seemed like very much like a sexual attraction kind of thing. But I guess Bill's uh he's not that kind of guy. Which you know, respect Bill, but you gotta know that Rena. <laughs> yeah, not she's not really. I also have never heard them be called friendship rings before, and I just thought that was kind of a cute. Like I've heard promise ring. But I was like, friendship ring. That's a that's a new one for me. And like, yeah, I'm like, she's not the friendship ring kind of gal. Sorry, Bill. Also, what are your thoughts on the concept of promise rings? O- opposed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can I could probably go into it more depth if you would like me to. But my just overall general vibe, if you're like one word or less, I'd be like opposed yeah i think they're silly and then once you get to a certain age and you're still getting like a promise ring it's like and what's the reason that you're not giving me an engagement ring because we're in our mid to late 20s you know when people start getting them with like real old and you're like what are you yeah you're like that's you're like what is what is the point of that i've never (laughs) i don't know i've never understood it i mean and i i had a guy like give me one once and it was very sweet like don't get me wrong and it was a very beautiful ring but like yeah i didn't i didn't know how to take that like i don't know (laughs) i don't know nobody's ever tried to give me a fucking promise ring and i can tell you that (laughs) right now (laughs) But one guy did buy me a ring, but when he gave it to me, he was like, when you open this, it means nothing. It's not signifying of anything. I just saw it and I thought you'd like it. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. We've been wow, for like you. three weeks, so I get it. Thanks. Uh, you're like, wow. You're like, glad you made that clear, dude, or else I would have thought <laughs> it had implications. I know. I would have been like, oh, you can put that back in your pocket there buddy i need you to put that back yeah i i don't even it's weird it's weird i think yeah like promise rings friendship rings weird purity rings or whatever all (laughs) of it's weird i don't know that's just my my take (laughs) 
Yeah, purity rings are a whole other freaking a whole, thing. It's a whole other thing that I could dive into. I'm not gonna right now, but I could. I could. We could talk yeah. about the... You know what? No, we're done. We're going back to the book. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, what are we even talking about? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. She's cheating on uh, Bill with Bill Predator. With Jeff. With Predator. Jeff, go find a college girl. Okay, stop dating. No, it's not cool. Why aren't you dating someone your own age, Jeff? Just saying. I also have highlighted here on page 128, uh, because again, it's kind of like, we're entering December. Here's a little recap. This is going on with Rena. This is what's going on with Corinna. This is what's going on with my mom. And so, of course, Caitlin's like, this is what I'm doing. And she's like, during all of this, I was also spending as much time as I could with Roger still complain that I wasn't around enough and it's like yep because no matter what in a piece of relationship no matter what you do it's not good enough and you're not spending enough time with him and this entire after when she's talking about like him picking her up from school and the pit and her's like I was like an anxious wreck reading that like I like the anxiety she was feeling I was feeling because it's like oh my god yes like and that's terrible that someone can, like, make you feel like that. Like, I have to be at the pickup spot at this time, and I can't be talking to anyone or else something bad is going to happen. And that just, like, oh, good. I mean, on page 129, like, you know, this is basically where you know things are going to go bad. Because she says, and it takes a minute to get to, but, like, right here it sets it up. She says, it was the Friday of the winter athletic ceremony that it happened. And you're just like, yeah, like, I know. I know where this is going. And yeah. Basically, from then on, the rest of the chapter, I was just a nervous wreck because, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, first, she's at Corinna's house before anything happens, which also, and... on a slightly happier aside, just a funny thing: Corinna wrote a check for groceries, and I'm just like, oh, that's so cute. She wrote a check for groceries. I know how <laughs> back in the you. day, back in the day when you could do that. Yeah, it was good. But she's at Corinna's house smoking um, a bowl because she's smoking a lot of pot lately to kind of like numb herself. Um, It's like part of her coping strategies. Yes. So she's over there smoking a little bit of pout with Corinna. And this is where we find out that Dave might not be so great. He's like not, we can't hold a job. He's not really helping out with bills and he sleeps all day. So we're starting to see some cracks in that relationship. Because that scene a couple chapters ago when they were dancing in the kitchen was like very lovely. I like was really digging Dave and I like Mm -hmm. like their vibe. And then we get to this and I was like, oh, I I know this guy. Like I have met so many of these guys in my life. Like I guess I should say I have known so many girls that have been with so many guys like this. And yeah, especially working in service industry, there will be a girl, you know, who's hustling. She's picking up doubles. She's working this on the other thing. And then she'll always be, oh, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, my boyfriend. And one day you'll just be like, oh, like, what's your boyfriend? Oh, he's uh, he's in between jobs right now. And it's like, he's always in between jobs. And you're like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like definitely cheating on her too. Like, Oh, 100%. Yeah, he's like, he stays up late. He sleeps all day. And like when he's staying out late, like, you know, he's, you know, he's like not doing good things. Right. He's, he's cheating on her. He's, I don't know, wherever he is at three o'clock in the morning, it ain't good. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'll say about that. 
so yeah, so this is the whole Corinna thing. She's at Corinna's and it's supposed to be, she's supposed to go basically meet up with Rogerson because he's buying something for his mom for her birthday. Is that correct? It's his mother's birthday coming up, I believe. Well, first she is supposed to go to a cheerleading meeting. Yes, which she skips because she's been doing that a lot lately. And then that evening, she has the athletic ceremony, but she had a little bit of time in between that she was supposed to meet up with Rogerson. Um, but she's at Karina's. She's skipping the cheerleading meeting to be basically to chill with Karina instead. And then she's in route to go meet up with Rogerson when instead she sees Rena driving and crying. And because it's her best friend and because she knows what that means, um, she knows her. Apparently, this is something she does, which I don't know. It's just the safest thing. I've done it. I have definitely driven and cried, but I'm not saying it's, it's not a safe thing. Probably ladies pull over and let those tears out. Okay. But she apparently has a route and she like goes by her like second stepfather's house to like tell him off, like not into his face, obviously, but like drive by and be like, F you while she's driving by. So I was like, oh, I like that she does this so much that she has a route. And I was like, girl, I don't know if that's the the safest thing, but you know, um, and then she's, she's on her way and she's so worried about being prompt for Rogerson. But she's like, well, I can stop for a minute and uh, and just see how Rena is. And so she tries to to pull up by her. And basically, this is where she finds out that Bill and his entire family <laughs> saw her macking with Jeff at like the food court in the mall, basically. Um, I love when she was yep. like. So I'm just busted, she said, wiping her eyes. I mean, there his, there's his Aunt Camille and his mom and dad, his grand-grand, which like, that's my favorite part. His grand-grand was there, for Christ's sake. So, yeah, so she's busted, and she's just, like, bawling her eyes out. And the entire time, Caitlin is just, like, looking at her watch, basically. Like, oh, God, it's been five minutes now. It's been this many minutes. Like, I need to wrap this up. But Rena is being long-winded. <laughs> yes. Also, um... When she's still at Corinna's, real quick, I just wanted to mention that the Lamont Whipper show comes on TV mm. and she yes, sees Cass time. and Cass, her gaze moves across the audience and she stares directly into the camera for a second and smooths her finger across her eyebrow like she used to do for Caitlin uh, because she hit her in the head with the shovel. And yep. That was like kind of a big moment because it was like she was sending her a message. And then Corinna's like, whoa, she looks exactly like you. That could be you. And cast and uh Caitlin kind of has this moment of like, no. Yeah. That uh the, the whole eyebrow thing. Yeah, like she's been seeing her sister, and now it's like she knows, like obviously. Cass knows because they've been contacting her, like trying to send letters to the show and leaving voicemails or whatever. She knows that her family is watching and for her to do that, like their like mm -hmm. sign essentially must have been like very like freaky for her to be like, oh wow, like she's sending me a message and whatnot. Um yeah. so yeah, that part was was kind of crazy. Also, a bunch of construction guys um cat call. Caitlin and Rena when they're at the gas station and yeah. again, again, boys, children. And one of them's crying for fuck's sake. Yeah. Like seriously, she's having an emotional breakdown and that's the time that you're like, let me, 
Let me be a perv. Get the F out of here. Seriously. Jesus Christ. But yes. Rena. Rena got caught. Rena got caught with her creepy guy. And basically, she misses Rogerson. Mm-hmm. She gets home and he is already gone. So now she's off to the um, athletic ceremony, the banquet, basically. Where he shows up and the entire time I was like, was he invited? Like, was he supposed to be there? Or did he just like show up to see if she was there? I'm a little uncertain of that. But she sees him and she says like she can tell that like like he's checking his watch or just something he only does when he's like uninterested. Like he feels like his time could be spent better or whatever. So he's like seems very fidgety in the back, which of course is making her very anxious and nervous and she kind of like tries to tell herself when she gets home because her mom's like oh rogerson stopped by you know when her mom like is able to peel her eyes away from the lamont whipper show to actually be like oh my second child who exists yeah (laughs) you know just saying she's like oh rogerson stopped by and so caitlin's like trying to kind of reassure herself like oh it's not a big deal like it's fine i'll see him tonight like it's fine but like she's literally having to tell herself that because she's mildly panicking because she knows that he's going to be upset with her which yeah he is to say the least and i'm also so mad that like so they're leaving the ceremony and at first like boo and her mom and everyone's like you've got to come back to the house to like have celebratory dessert or whatever and then they're like no no like you can go hang out with rogerson and i'm like like y'all don't know what's about to happen but like why? Why did you let her go off? <laughs> and like I can't, the, I can't blame them, but and the whole time that she's sitting there watching him, she's like talking about her increasing anxiety and like nodding the hem of her dress and her fist and like being like I still remember feeling that way when I yeah. knew that at the end of something that was going on, I was gonna get whatever you know from either one of my partners that was not nice to me and like I could really feel her feelings in that moment too like the nervousness like anxiety to like get up and just like tell everyone around you to like shut the fuck up because you're like I gotta go I wrote like I can really feel her panic here and it's like nobody's noticing no one in her family is noticing that she's like having an absolute panic attack right now like uh I know I was just like, she could not be, we said it before and we'll say it again. Like she just could not be in a better position in a, in a sense to like have this happen. To her. Like she keeps saying how like invisible she feels and it's like, she's primed and ready to enter a relationship like this right now. And it's just like, I don't know, heartbreaking. And we'll get to it in the next like, you know, chapter or so. There, like, there are a few parts where it's like you think maybe someone's gonna say something or someone's gonna notice, and they don't, and it's so infuriating. I'm like, push a little harder. No, like, mm, like you're on the cusp of something. You're on the cusp of something. Just which also, if you ever, you know, not to like get on my soapbox here, but if you ever see a friend, and a lot of people are like, well, but I don't want my friend to not like me anymore or whatever and it's like no screw it like it's literally life and death like if you think something is happening to your friend whether or not you think it's going to ruin your friendship 
say something, do something, try to intervene because like your friend surviving is way more important at the end. And again, like they may hate you in the interim, but like in the grand scheme of things, I think that they'll realize that you were correct and they will come back to you and be friends with you. But yeah, like so many people are so afraid of like, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want them to cut me out of their life. I don't whatever. And it's like, screw that. Like this is a life or death, literally. Like please interject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but and yeah. she gets to his car and she knocks on the window and he just like looks at her for a second before unlocking the door and you're just like, oh, fuck. Like that one second of just looking at you, you're like, fuck. And then she's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't do anything about it. And he's like pissed off. And then he, you know, he's like, where were you this afternoon? And she's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then he starts doing like a little bit of guilt. I waited for you for a long time. And then she said, I'm sorry. And then she thinks it's over. She thinks they're like moving on. Right. And then he says again, it's just that I thought, it's just that I wondered where you were, he said. Since you said you'd be there and all. And then she says, the thing is that I thought we were okay. He had smiled at me and I'd let out a big breath, assuming it was over. Now, as he brought it up again, I stopped thinking and got careless. Um, and she kind of razzes him a little bit. And that's the first time that he hits her yep so yeah so he hits her here at the bottom of the page the first time he did it and she says here the noise it made was a crack like a gunshot and it wasn't like in the movies where the person just stands there and takes it i reeled back hitting my head against my seat my ears were ringing my face flush and already instantly i had tears in my eyes and then of course he's like don't ever fucking talk to me that way and he just like loses his mind at her for absolutely no reason and then he and, some yeah. dangerous driving which is another form of abuse if that got cut off i just started coughing in the middle of yeah and this is the first time so obviously it's the first time that he has physically abused her which will unfortunately not be the last time and this is something another tactic she kind of starts using so we mentioned you know she's been kind of in this haze she's been smoking a lot of pot over at Corinna's to kind of get through life right now and this new thing she kind of starts doing when he's in his you know kind of rages is she starts thinking of trivia she just starts like going trying to think of something safe trying to think of facts to just kind of get her through the situation because she wants to cry and she wants to freak out justifiably and she's afraid though that if she does like it, it might make things worse for her uh so she does that until basically they can you know so until she can get back uh home and this is the part i mean all of it pisses me off beyond belief obviously but this is the part that just absolutely sent my blood boiling um so she talks to page bottom of 145 we didn't talk about what happened um, and said they go to McDonald's like it was any other night and all that stuff. And then she says that he parks in front of her house. And then he says, basically, I love you. He said, uh, okay. And then she says it was the first time he'd said it. And under, and under other circumstances, it would have been important. But now all I could think about was the pain in my face. And it's like a fucking mm -hmm. course. He tells her that he loves her for the first time on the same night that he hits her for the first time like of course he does and i just wanted to scream when i read it's, that because that's like yep that's what an abuser would do mm -hmm. it's like such standard 
basic behavior to like do something like that and then hit you with like I love you you know it's always like I'm doing this because I care about you or I'm doing this because of you or whatever this is a challenging chapter to get through for sure she says Rogerson was focused on me it was as if he was asking me to make a pact with him to get our stories straight so basically he's like I love you okay like don't tell anybody about this it's nothing it's no big deal And she says, I could have just gotten out of the car and walked up to my house, leaving him behind forever. Things would have been very different if I had done that. But the fact was, I loved Rogerson. It wasn't just that I loved him even. It was that I loved what I was when I was with him. Not a little sister, the pretty girl sidekick, the second runner up. All I'd ever wanted was to make my own path far from Cass's. And even after what had happened, I wasn't ready to give that up just yet. So it's like... She still has all of this like unresolved issues with her sister leaving and her sister being kind of like the star of the family in general. And this is like her way of trying to, you know, make herself separate, which I think we talked about in the last episode as well. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like, uh, it's like so heartbreaking because you're just going to be like, Caitlin. And then to like add insult to injury, she goes inside. She's, you know, back home. This all just happens. And as she's kind of walking in, she's thinking like, oh, God, like what excuse am I going to make? Because she's now decided like she was saying, like, I could have gotten out of the car and gone in and and told my parents and it's could have been done. But she's already, you know, reconciled with herself. Like, no, I I love him. I got to keep this secret. And so she goes inside and she doesn't even have to think of a lie because, of course, that is the night that Cass decides to call and she is 100% invisible when she goes in. And their parents, like, legitimately don't even notice her presence because they're on the phone with Cass. And, I mean, obviously they do inevitably. Uh, You know, she kind of does inevitably have to come up with uh, a lie, but not in that exact moment. And it's just like... of course of course that's the time that Cass would call like Mm -hmm. geez yeah so Caitlin leaves and she goes to Applebee's to find Corinna because Corinna is kind of her safe space at this point and I thought I really like the addition of Corinna in this novel because Dessen always includes like a female safe haven and like a woman who's like there to support and take care of you and be a just a friend and i love that even with all of this terribleness she has that yeah she goes and it's like they're kind of closed up for the night she's like at the bar counting her money and stuff and she asks her like what happens and she says you know i couldn't tell her and they just kind of have a moment. And I, again, I don't know how much Corinna has kind of sussed out here, but at least she's there for her. She's right. She can be someone she turns to. And I guess, you know, like that is kind of going back an addendum to my earlier soapbox rant, <laughs> uh, you know, about pushing a little bit harder. I, I do know that sometimes just being there. So that way, hopefully one day when they feel comfortable telling you is, is, you know, obviously, sometimes that's better, too, is it is good to feel like you can go to someone. If if someone is obviously in an abusive situation, they already feel kind of very, like, they can't turn to anyone. Um, I think it's nice that she felt like she had someone to turn to, even though she wasn't quite ready to 
tell her the whole truth just yet, you know? So thanks, Corinna, for, for being there, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. I had a Corinna when I was in my abusive relationship. Yeah. She was like older than me and Canadian. Oh, that's a good combo. Mm-hmm. She lives Nothing in like having, now. like, you just need like an older, like, she in, lives in, in California now. <gasps> oh my God, she really is, Corinna. She really is. That is, uh, the, what are the odds? Honestly, that's funny. I mean, yeah, like keeping the moon, you know, like there's the two older, like, I don't know, like sometimes you just need that like girlfriend that's like, like, this is the exact opposite of guys where we're like, oh my God, like, don't date guy, whatever. <laughs> but like, every like teenage girl, I think, even like, I don't know, 20 something year old, whatever. Like it is always nice mm-hmm. to have a girlfriend that's a little bit older than you and like a little bit wiser and can kind of like a big sister type thing, but without actually like, Being like, again, sister. like I do have a very good relationship with my big sisters, but there's something different about having a friend. Cause like there's mm-hmm. certain things that you're like, I don't know. I don't want to like talk to my sister about it or whatever. Like, you know, right. like I, we used to, you know, like I'll take baths together. Like this is weird to tell you this thing, but like another person, you're like, oh, I can like talk to you about this stuff. And like you're a little older, a little wiser. You know what's up? You're gonna go live in California. Apparently, that's what they all do. I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, like w- with my sisters, like I never told them about this. And if they listen to my podcast, like they'll know now. Hey guys, um, <laughs> but I didn't want to like upset them. Yeah, so it was like yeah. telling a friend was like way easier because it's like, you know, obviously your friend's still going to be upset, but like not quite in the same way. Exactly. Like when you're the baby of the family and you say something like that, like the reaction is going to be a little stronger than a friend. Yeah, no, that's that's very accurate. I think that's a very true like sentiment for sure chapter nine we did it we survived one of the cutoffs we, we still have so many more painful ones to go we're in the middle of the, <sighs> the uphill battle here everyone let's all pause for a second i'm gonna give myself a pat on the back michael ann you deserve a pat on the back <laughs> all the listeners for getting through that everyone that's mm-hmm. been reading along with us for getting through these chapters well done everyone we yeah. did it we at least survived mm-hmm. chapter eight so we did <sighs> deep breath let's get into chapter nine so she starts with, she's basically trying to ring in, write in her dream journal because she tells us, well, she's said before how she's kind of been using that as a way to communicate with Cass. So she's writes a couple, starts to write entries, but can't finish it. So December 13th, she's like, what's been happening is so strange. Like it isn't even, she stops. December 14th, last night, something happened with Rogerson. He got so angry at me and he, she stops. December 14th, again, she tries. I don't even know where to start, but, and she just can't, like, even writing it down, like, she's not even really talking to her actual sister, but even just, like, trying to write it down, she can't even, like, put it into words. Yeah, which I can definitely relate to that as well. Like, it's way easier to write everything down and give it to someone, or not give it to them. Right, also true. Oh, yeah, she tells them that she got bumped by a stray elbow as she walked through the banquet crowd. Which, like, a stray elbow? How short are you? Are you five foot two? Like, what do you mean, a stray elbow? That's the, uh, that's the excuse she went with. Mm. And, and people it, believe her! And it works! And it mm. works! It's the crazy thing. Mm-mm-mm. Ugh, seriously. 
in this chapter, in the beginning of this chapter here, she like keeps reiterating over and over again, like it, it happened so quickly. I didn't even have a second to comprehend it. It happened so quickly. Right. I didn't even have a second to stop. I didn't have a second to do anything. It happened so quickly. Like she says it repeatedly throughout like a couple different paragraphs. And you can just still see like the disbelief and the like yeah. panic that's still there from this being like, I don't even know. Like I couldn't even do anything to help myself. It's like she's yeah, almost I, blaming herself in like a small way as well too. Which, like I think at one point she's kind of like, like did I dream this? Like like this yeah. can't like it can't you know like she's like in such like disbelief and yeah like kind of like blaming herself. Yeah like I, I like I didn't have time to react. Like what what would you have done if you know what I mean? Like what could right. you have done that would have made him stop you doing that? But like that's just where she is at in her mind right now. So basically. Her cast has been calling a, a lot. She she made that first contact and now she's been calling like not regularly, but semi-regularly and we're approaching Christmas and her mom is like really hoping that she will call on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or whatever. So we're, you know, getting close to that. Um, she's talking about their final photography class before the holidays, like what they had to do, which was. Um, they're working on a people series. So they all were like taking a picture of someone that meant something to them. So Boo was a picture of her and Stuart. It's, it sounds very kind of silly and fun, which is kind of like what their relationship is. Um, her mother takes a picture of her father and he's very studious, like in his, you know, study surrounded by his diplomas and all that kind of stuff. And, and she takes a picture of Rogerson, which of course he didn't want her to shoot. And, uh, you know, she says he's kind of, um, he's, he's not smiling. He's, uh, what does she say? He's looking steadily at the camera, a trace of irritation on his face, his car keys dangling from one hand under his jacket sleeve. Behind him, you can see all the bare window trees against light gray sky. Uh, so she's kind of talking about, you know, his photo. She says that her uh, teacher basically, she's kind of, she's waiting outside or whatever. And it's a very brief conversation. He's just like, you know, you're very promising. And, and these photos you've been taking are very good. And basically he just says, um, you know, like, Merry Christmas. Do you want me to, to wait with you? And of course she knows Rogerson's coming and he's a guy. So she doesn't want him, you know, standing around. And so she's just like, oh no, like it's fine. And tells him Merry Christmas. And, and he goes uh, along his way. She says here the top, Fish, like second paragraph of page 154 there's something so nice about standing there with him under all those blinking lights his mittens closed tightly over my fingers i felt safe with him strangely with this person i hardly knew safer than i felt in a long time as if some part of me that had been churned up and crazy had finally come to a stop and it's like yeah because it's like it's so sad but like everyone in her life now like she's with rogerson she never feels safe she always feels like she's a ticking time bomb. You know what I mean? Like when she's at school, she's waiting for him to come pick her up. Like she has to act around everyone now. Like she, she doesn't even really feel safe with Rena or, you know, like Corinna. It's like, yeah, it's kind of can become her safe haven, but also like he knows her, like he could show up at her house anytime. And it's strange that this standing outside with a photography teacher and him just like being nice to her, like basic bare minimum niceness. And she like, it's like, wow, this is the like safest I felt in a while. And it's like, God, like that's so sad, but like probably yeah. so true to her life at this moment, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so she's staying there. Um, we couldn't have stood there like that for more than five seconds. We're basically, again, her photography teacher very innocently is just like taking her hand and being like, Merry Christmas. And of course, that's when Rogerson shows up. 
Yep. You know, immediately he's like, so what's going on with you and that guy, Caitlin? And like, again, triggering. <laughs> triggering as fuck. Yeah. There's like nothing like that, like anxiety of your partner accusing you of something like that. And you like desperately trying to be like, it's not true. And like, no matter what you do, what right. you say, they just are not going to believe you because they want to be mad at you. They want to like abuse you. Yeah. Um, and this is like when he, I guess, punches her in the face. Yeah. Last time it was a slap and now it's a punch. Um, and I want to say there it was two of them. Yeah. Because he punches her and then he slaps her hard across the other cheek. And she says that her face was shattering into tiny pieces. Yeah. And then he says, this isn't my fault. He said in a low voice, as I tasted blood in my mouth, it isn't Caitlin. You know what you did. Yep. And it's like, oh, yes. Talk to my photography teacher. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Like, how old is this guy as well? Like, right. Like, it's not someone she's remotely romantically interested in. It's like a, a, a teacher for her. Like, uh, mm. yeah, there's nothing more. Yeah, frustrating than knowing that you did absolutely nothing wrong. And yeah, like just knowing your partner isn't going to believe you, like no matter what you say, being like, there's no way to get out of this situation. Like no matter what I say, like, like you said, like he wants to be mad at me and he's going to be mad at me and I can't do anything to change his mind. And like, that's just terrible. Yeah. The absolute desperation and fear that you feel during those moments is portrayed really well here. Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately very unfortunately this time when she goes inside her parents aren't distracted so they immediately notice the fact that her face looks terrible of course and so her mom's like oh my god like what happened to you and she says that she fell so of course it is around christmas there's you know some ice on the ground and so her mother is very ready and willing to believe that because earlier in the day she'd fallen near the you know, mailbox or whatever. So she's like, I told you, you know, someone was going to fall and hurt themselves and go get the salt. You know, we, we want to make sure no one, oh my God, and let's get some peas on that eye and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they just ready and willing to to believe that line. Yeah. Can I just say, <laughs> this is the uh, exact opposite. I, when I was in high school, I had this boyfriend, turned out to be a dud. He's a totally nice guy, not like a bad relationship, but just like we weren't meant to be, you know, kind of thing. Had a very lovely dog. Uh, it was a pit bull, actually, my clan, so Aww. you would love it. Like the sweetest. She was like just a sweet girl and she just like, you know, loved, like she, she loved people. And I love dogs. And I had basically at that point in my life only ever had um, hyperallergenic dogs. So I legitimately did not know I was allergic to dogs until I started dating, dating this guy. So I'm over there. One night she curls up into my lap and she's licking my face. And I'm like, oh, you sweet girl, whatever. And all of a sudden my lips start like ballooning out of nowhere. And I'm panicking because I don't know what's wrong with me. And my boyfriend was like, are you allergic to dogs? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. And he's like, I think you're allergic to dogs. And so his mom, he like went and like showed me to his mom, you know, because we were like at his house. And she's like, yes, we do. Like, I think you're having an allergic reaction. Like, let me give you some Benadryl, you know, whatever. So 
they, you know, doctor me up. I go home. I'm much less puffy by the time I get home, but I still clearly have, and, you know, I've had an allergic reaction. And um, my mom, of course, instantly was like, what happened to you? And I'm like, the dog, the dog. I think I might be allergic to the dog. Um, and she was like, are you sure? And I'm like, I swear to you, it is the dog. Um, but yeah, that's how I learned that I was allergic to dogs. And also that my mom would definitely instantly know if I was being like physically abused because she was ready. Like she was ready. My dad was ready. Um, and I'm like, no, it legitimately was just a very sweet dog kissing my face. <laughs> and what's, what's interesting about that is that's the first time you came home from being with yeah. your boyfriend yeah, and looking a little rough. Okay. Yeah. This is the second time Caitlin has come home after being with her boyfriend and has mysterious bruises on her face. Yeah. And the first time it was a stray elbow. And the second time it was a patch of ice. Did you find a patch of ice in that area? Just saying. Do people normally hit two spots of their face? Yeah, just also that. Like, I I just, just... I'm amazed that her parents, and I know, I know that, like, they're just, her mom is so in, like, oh, about Cass and whatever, but that, like, you wouldn't question her some more and just like the way she has been acting recently and she kind of gets into the fact that she starts um this is the last time he hits her in the face because at least he like most abusers is smart enough to realize like that's gonna be hard for her to cover up so then she starts having to wear like long pants and long sleeves all the time and yeah it's cold at this time of year i guess you could say that but still like all the time, like even in the house when the fire is going and all of that, and she never did that. And her mom isn't ever like, Caitlin, I've been noticing that you're <laughs> just always covering up now. Mm-hmm. But nope, nope, that is, uh, but yeah. So in this part, you know, her mom's just like, Oh, like you really scared me. You know, I, I don't know what I would do if something happened to you and all that stuff. And part of me is like, I don't know if I believe that because mm-hmm. you're like really obsessed with your eldest daughter, <laughs> but all right. The Caitlin says here, I could tell her, I told myself, I could tell her right now and fix this. I could say that he hits me and I hate cheerleading and I miss Cass, but I know why she left and I wish I could make everything better, but I can't, I can't, I can't even tell you where it hurts. Not now. Ugh. And it's like, every time she goes in, there's that little piece nagging at her to be like, just say it, just tell them. And every time she talks herself out of it and... Mm-hmm. My heart breaks a little bit, but I totally understand why. Yeah. Also, during this time period, on page 158, she says, It was funny. What I loved most about Rogerson was that he took me to a place so far from anywhere Cass had been, and now him hitting me was the same thing. Cass wouldn't have taken up with Rogerson, just like she never would have stayed with anyone who hurt her. But I wasn't Cass, not even close. I was weaker. And I'd keep this secret before I'd prove that again. And... Anybody can find themselves in this situation, unfortunately, like because of the way of our society is, it's very easy for women to find themselves in um, abusive relationships because it doesn't start abusive like day one. It starts with like mental stuff that kind Mm -hmm. of wears you down over time. And then by the time they hit you, you're not even really like cognizant of what's happening. So if anyone out there is in this situation or is dealing with coming out of a situation like this like you're not weak and there's nothing wrong with you this is yeah yeah 100 and they all the comparison of like 
oh, this wouldn't happen to, you know, someone else in your family, or this wouldn't happen to my one friend. She's so smart and wonderful and she would never fall for this. And it's like, that's bullshit. It could happen to anyone. Like it really could. And, and, and that wouldn't make them any, and again, like we were kind of saying when we were talking about keeping the moon with, you know, body positivity, like how much easier it is to be body positive about someone else's body than your own. It's, you know, the same thing. Like you would never think that about someone else. If you found out, so, you know, if I ever found out that a friend of mine was abused, I wouldn't be like, oh God, how'd that happen? Like, you know, how did you let that happen? So you're like, you would never think that you'd be like, oh my God, like that wasn't your fault and that's terrible. But when it's you, there is that. And again, it's the, all that self-doubt that your abuser put into you. Suddenly you, you know, take all that in and you're like, how did I let this happen to me? And it's like, no, if you wouldn't think that about your friend or your sister or anyone else, like, why would, why do you think that about yourself? Like, don't, you know, think that about yourself. Right. Exactly. But that's what they do to you. That's yep. what they do to you right here. You can see it clear as day. All right. So the mom tucks her into bed and takes care of her. And she goes to sleep and she has a dream that Cass is like behind a glass wall saying like, go, Caitlin, go ahead, Caitlin, you can go. And she's like reaching for Cass and, and eventually Cass disappears. And then she wakes up, wakes up sweating. And this is when she finally pulls out her dream journal and is able to write a letter to Cass saying, like, I'm getting beat up by my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And that's chapter nine. Another deep breath, everyone. Oh, we made it we through another it. one. We made it through another one. God, it's going to be so nice to read the next book. We're going to have such a great time. <laughs> I can't fucking wait. This lullaby, I'm coming for you. It was so good. As the special place in our heart, it's where the name of our podcast comes from. Yeah. It's going to be so light and cheery and fun and Uh, not miserably depressing. Not sending us into flashbacks. Like, seriously, the. I don't know. Yeah. Which, again, is half of it is just how well Sarah Dustin wrote this. And again, we said the other week like she definitely has to have some kind of firsthand knowledge of this or you know she said kind of in her dedication she talked about her last years and all the different people's stories that she told it and I think she did such a wonderful job of of you know kind of uh writing this but yeah I boy was I was like some of this is just because it's so well written the anxiety inducing and then some of it was just like triggering flashbacks to yeah self-doubt and having someone make you feel like absolute shit about yourself (laughs) yeah absolute shit like rock bottom yeah so that's fun and I love it (laughs) (laughs) and everything is great Okay, so great. Chapter 10. We start off, she is in English class, basically. Her English lit teacher is trying to wake her up because she's fallen asleep in class. And he's trying to ask her something about the symbolism um, in, uh, what should we call it? Something by T.S. Eliot. What are they reading? Love Song of J. Alfred Prufock. Ah, yes. So yeah, something about the mermaids and what the symbolism is. And of course, she is not uh, not ready to to answer that. 
And then her teacher is kind of just like has a little word with her at the end of class about how she needs to, you know, kind of wake up. And then she basically goes into the bathroom where she overhears a conversation about the prom and people talking about dresses and dates and, and all that kind of jazz. And she's just kind of sitting there kind of thinking in the bathroom about kind of what her teacher said and, and how she can't, you know, wake up. And, and she's kind of talking about, um, this is where she's is explaining how Rodderson had taken to only hitting me where I could cover it up, arms, legs, shoulders. I wore only long sleeve shirts, big sweaters, and turtlenecks. But at least now my face was off limits. After that night, it was okay for a little while. He seemed sorry, although he never said so out loud. And it's like, well, because he's not. And then she says, you know, she can tell, though, because of the way that he brings her, you know, special snacks or, like, CDs. And the way he kind of, you know, like, talks to her and touches her that, you know, she says that um, if I was beautiful or even sacred. And it's like... Yeah, Caitlin, because he abuses you and then in typical abuser fashion, uh, you know, tries to to smooth things over. That's that is what he's going to do. Yep. Rogerson gives her a necklace on Christmas Eve after making her dinner and then they um, have sex for the first time. Yep. And then she says, which unfortunately is very true in many abusive relationships um she says it got to be that sex was the only time i could count on being safe and it never lasted long enough (sighs) yeah that's terrible but unfortunately very very true yeah bottom of page 166 she says then we'd be driving stoned or on our way somewhere and then somewhere else after that before i had been exciting knew to always be in transit but now i felt like i was drifting sucked down by an undertow and too far out to swim back to the shore i never even tried to change the station anymore instead letting his music fill my ears and all the spaces between us heavy and thick like a haze and it's like yeah i you know she was kind of mentioned before how with Rogerson, she's always in transit, and you know, she kind of talked about how before it's tongue in cheek, oh, my music, his music, whatever, which we hated him then, but now it's like, <laughs> yeah, she's just completely given up. Like, it's his <laughs> way or the highway, you know, a typical uh, abuse victim. She doesn't want to start an argument, she doesn't want to anger him, and so she just kind of goes with the flow. And, and like she says, everything is just a haze right now, like, she is just. Yeah. you know walking sleepwalking through life yep she is just simply existing and everyone's trying to talk to her and they're they're all just kind of like she's not really absorbing anything going on around her she says that this dreamland was preferable walking through this life half sleeping everything at arm's length or farther away i understood those mermaids i didn't care if they sang to me all i wanted was to block out all of the human voices as they called my name again and again pulling me upward into the light to drown i am just so yeah i don't know like impressed with the way the the feelings of of so many things of this that that sarah Dustin does just get so right and yeah oh my god i just realized i'm going to have to listen to this episode yeah. Again. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm putting you, this one out unedited. <laughs> you're getting the raw me trying to help my mom with a PDF file. You're getting it, y'all. All I right. don't envy that task. No. Okay. So 
And she's talking about how the abuse is happening more and more often. Um, she's thinking about it in like sports terms because that makes it like safer. She's able to like carp, um, I know what you're trying to say, but I also know I'm trying to think of how to say it. Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't. That sounds like carpartmentalize. What is? How do you say that word? God. Compart. I know exactly what you're trying to say. There's a listener right now yelling at us. <laughs> I swear, y'all, we are very smart sometimes. This is a rough read, y'all. Okay, it's rough. Yeah, compartmentalize. Divide and choose extra categories. Compart- Why does that not sound right, though? Compartmentalize? Say it fast and it sounds right. I don't know. I'm like, mull it a little bit. Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. <laughs> anyway, you guys know what I'm trying to say. And that's what she's doing. <laughs> She's got her car parts and she's mentalizing them. And she's mentalizing. <laughs> um, so <sighs> she says that um, punctuality is the best or the worst thing. So if she's even a second late for all the times he comes to pick her up, she he'll hit her. Um, so she has to start skipping class um, like before lunch and before the end of the day, I believe. She says she has to be careful. She says she couldn't talk to anybody because if Rogerson saw her, um, he'd assume she was either flirting or talking about him. And she, oh God, she has this moment with Rena where Rena's like, I'll talk to Rogerson and I'll tell him you need a girl's night. It's fine. And she's like yeah. begging her, like, please do not do this. Like, and Which again this- is when I, as a friend, would be like, Girl, do you need to tell me so? Like, do we? I think we need to right. talk. Like, if I don't know if any of my girlfriends was ever like, please God, no, please, please, please don't. Like, you can't talk to him. I wouldn't talk to him because I wouldn't want to get her hurt. But even if I wasn't sure that that was going on, but still, I could maybe kind of, you know, mm-hmm. theorize that. But I, I, I don't know. I would, I'd be trying to go to her. Maybe not at that moment, but at, at a later date, I'd be circling back and being like, yeah. You to talk to me about something because that's not a normal reaction <laughs> yeah can we circle back to this uh behavior to this? that we're seeing because um, i am concerned for you yeah big time concerned yeah black cars keep driving by and she keeps getting nervous thinking it's him and it's not and you can just feel again like the panic rising and then as she's walking away to go into um rogerson's car she looks at Rena. I looked at her sitting cross-legged there in her sunglasses, popping her gum with no greater concern in her life right then than me. And I envied her quickly and quietly in a different way than I had all those years we'd spent together. So it's like, this is a very familiar feeling too when you're like so deep in the depths of like abuse and you're just looking at somebody who's just living their damn lives and you're like, God. I miss that freedom of yeah vibing. Yeah. That is that is so true. Um, she says, well, I was working on being invisible. So she gets in the car with Rogerson um, and leaves Rena. And then she said, well, I was working on being invisible. Cast was slowly coming back to us. Um, she hadn't called on Christmas Eve, but she was calling 
a lot more often. Um, and she also kind of says that, you know, everyone else, she feels like she can lie to. She can get away to lying to her parents. She thinks they'd be booze kind of on to her, but she can get away to lying to her, her and Stuart and Rena and everyone. But she knows that if she even tried to talk to Cass, that it would come out. So she's doing her best basically every time she calls to avoid trying to get on the phone with her, even pretending to be asleep here at the end of the chapter. So she doesn't have to get on the phone with her sister and have this big secret, you know, come out essentially. Yeah. And when Cass calls and her mom's talking to her, Mm. she says, Caitlin is just wonderful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What? Open your eyes. Get some, get a new prescription lady. I not seeing things clearly. I literally just went, oh, in frustration when I read that part. I was like, okay, mom. Oh, she's doing wonderful, is she? Oh gosh. Oh my god, it is torture. It's freaking infuriating. It's infuriating. This mother, I might. I don't know. I'm gonna have to do a ranking one day of like Sarah Dessen's Oh my god, yeah. Top worst moms, because this mom is really up there for me right now. Like she is just. She is. Ugh. She is. It's like she doesn't have the capacity to like see her kids as individual human beings with specific needs. You know, like she ignored yeah. Cass's needs growing mm-hmm. up, just projected this like perfection onto her. And so much so that Cass ran away yep. and is living in New York, like barely speaking to her. And now Caitlin is being abused. She's losing a ton of weight. She's wearing inappropriate clothing for the weather i think right. at this point and getting bruises on her face all the time and you're like oh she's doing wonderfully she's just she's cheerleading and she's thriving and it's like she's skipping class she's in an abuser like she is doing miserable but okay yeah like, open your eyes and like yeah just to make it clear she is not fair to either of her daughters like Right. You know, like you could be like, oh wow, like she clearly like likes Casimo. And it's like, no, she's being unfair to both of them. Like, just to make that abundantly clear, like both of them are screwed in this situation. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. And it's just sad. It's just sad. So yeah, so we're into the new year now. She's at Corinna's in one late February, which the the power has been turned off because Corinna pay the power bill but the the check has bounced which again where is this money going dave where is it going he needs it he needs it he needs it for things um and this is where she so she leaves corinna's and she ends up getting pulled into a caitlin ends up being pulled into a cheerleading intervention basically and they decide that they are going to kick her off the squad because She's not really showing up. <laughs> they basically ask her, like, what's your commitment to the the squad? And she's like, I don't, I don't have any. Like, I don't really like it, you know. And she's like, um, don't you care, Caitlin? And she says, No, I said bluntly, um, I don't. And so then, yeah, they basically part ways. And then she goes out to the parking lot and starts sobbing. And she's like, I don't even know why I care. Like, I didn't even like cheerleading, and I'm upset. And it's like, well we do know why you care actually uh, you don't caitlin but but we we the reader is inferring what's happening yeah is, she is says, inferring why you might be so upset 
says, this question seemed ludicrous to me. Of course I didn't care. If I did, I wouldn't be hiding a bruise on my arm and one on my back. I wouldn't be shrouding myself in long sleeves and chain smoking, watching myself shrink down to nothing as I tried to be invisible. And then she's like, you know what? No, I don't fucking care. I'm being abused. I have enough on my mind. I'm out of here. And, and yeah, and she does. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, she says here, I couldn't believe I was upset about being kicked off the cheerleading squad since I'd hated it right from the start. But it wasn't just that. It was that at least while I was on the squad, I had some semblance of a normal life, my old life. But now I was just a girl with a boyfriend who beat her, who smoked too much. I was drowning in broad daylight and no one could tell. And it's like, yep. And that's why you're, that's why you're upset. The, it's not about the, the cheerleading squads, but what the cheerleading squad represents, which is, yeah, like kind of a tether to her normal old high school life and now she's doesn't really have a tether to that anymore after we're done recording this i'm gonna go give andrew like the longest hug <laughs> i've ever given him in my entire life yes. i'm yes. just gonna be like thank you <laughs> thank you for not being a piece of shit so when uh evermore yeah i'm like God, Taylor Swift fan over here. I call myself Taylor Swift fan, and I momentarily forgot while reading a very traumatic <laughs> thing her current discography. So, Evermore, that's the album obviously that came out before Midnight's. So, when I first was listening to that, you know, I did my first run through, I listened to it a couple more times. Then I was in the car, maybe the second, third time I was listening to it and tolerate it. Uh, came on, mm. and so a, a beautiful song, but very, uh, kind of emotionally triggering for me as someone who is an emotionally abusive relationship and I was listening to that and I got home and to my apartment at the time and I just was like bawling sitting in the car and I went upstairs and I was just like I told my husband I was like I love you so much and thank you so much for like showing me how love is supposed to be and feel and loving me in return I just like had this whole moment of course he had no idea what was happening (laughs) he's like yeah of course but like why are you crying <laughs> like what is wrong oh with you god. and i'm like it's fine i was just feeling my feelings with taylor swift oh my god i know uh, <laughs> uh, no. listen ladies it's out there don't settle don't settle don't okay settle. you will find your person after the crappy person who like you're like, oh my God, like this is like what it's supposed to be like. Well, yeah. Get a serving job at Universal Studios and yeah. that's it. That's <laughs> we it. Nailed that's it. how you find love. <laughs> We're here to tell you the secret, okay? We know you've been on the dating apps. We know you've done this and that, but this is what works. <laughs> Go get yourself a serving job at Universal. It does oh, come with a hefty dose of trauma though, I have to tell you. <laughs> But also, true love. Anyway, basically what we just cut out that we'll just summarize for you quickly is our restaurant that Bethany and I worked at together have a very high rate of successful um, relationships that have come out of it, which is pretty great. Yeah, that is. But we, the two of us being, yeah, the relationships we had being those success stories. So yay, love. Let's, yeah, let's think of some positive things while we're. Here we go, Ron. One more deep breath. We've got one more chapter to cover tonight. Oh, fuck. I thought we were done. Because we're so close. I mean, we can be if you want to be. Oh, my God. We said we weren't holding ourselves to any strict schedules. I think we should be. This is too much, man. I'm like. Yeah. 
reigned beyond we can, belief. We can pick up on chapter 11 next yeah, and time. Then, then we'll just have 11 through 15. Calling it yeah. here, I think, is good for us I and feel, for our listeners. Yeah, I feel good about that. And since mm-hmm. everyone made it through this, I promised a sweet family anecdote. And here's your anecdote for the evening on my adorable family. I was thinking about this because I've been while we're staying with our in-laws temporarily, I've been trying my best to help do the dishes uh, when I can for my mother-in-law when she cooks. Um, And that stems back from my grandfather, who we talked about my lovely grandma and her porcelain doll collection last week. So let me tell you a little bit about Jack Mangan, swell guy. He had a rule that if uh, my my grandparents had a, a rule together that whoever did the cooking should never have to clean up. So my grandma mm-hmm. always cooked. My grandpa always cleaned up. Like that was the rule. Like she never had to touch a dish because she just prepared this whole wonderful meal. So he used to always do the dishes. Um, another good grandpa tidbit. So again, just to reiterate from last week, my grandparents or on the older side um both of them have have since passed but uh you know he fought in world war ii okay y'all like he was old um <laughs> so when they were raising kids it was in the 40s the 50s the 60s you know irish catholic family and uh his his rule was that he thought and again his first kid he had in the 40s like night my uncle bill would have been born in like 1940 sometime between 46 and 48 my mom who is listening to this is yelling out the answer sorry mom (laughs) that i don't know exactly um but he was born in the 40s is the point and he believed that all kids should have dolls because he was like well all kids are like gonna grow up and they're probably gonna be parents because again in the 40s like you thought everyone was gonna you know this was a little outdated of him but for his time progressive thinking um he yeah he thought that all kids should have dolls because he's like well it's that doesn't seem right that only the girls should like the 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 boys are gonna have to be dads like we both they're both gonna have to be parents so like why would they not both get to play with dolls um so yeah so he he totally was into them playing with dolls and he also um my grandparents had a swing set and I used to sit out there um at the time I was my grandparents youngest grandchild and so um I was the only one like that was playing with the swing set pretty much at this point and he used to go out there with me and he would teach me like really bad Irish limericks and stuff and then like tell me to go tell my mom um which was not (laughs) cool grandpa um but he uh, I would sit out there and it was blue at the time the swing set and I said I want it to be bubblegum pink and my grandpa went and bought me bubblegum pink paint and he painted this wing set for me so those are your cute oh my god anecdotes about my family to leave everyone on a happy note that's my pop-up uh jack he was a he was a swell guy oh and he always one more cute thing to this is how you should be in relationships folks you should wash the dishes if you didn't have to cook dinner and also that my grandparents lived right down the hill from the high school and the high school, my grandpa was, uh, he worked out, he was a custodian there. And so he loved, um, all the, all the kids loved him. Jack, oh, you, Jack, you have to come to our softball game. You have to come to our baseball game. You have to come to our baseball, basketball game. And, and he couldn't let them down. So he would go to all these games and I would get dragged to them all the time. Me and my sisters when we were all little. And, um, my grandma had no interest in going and watching high school sports, um, but she likes Snickers bars. So he would go, he'd take us up the hill. We'd watch a little bit of the baseball game. He'd go to the concession stand, get my grandma Snickers. He'd walk back down the hill, give it to her. And like, that was their thing. He'd always, if he went to a game, he'd bring her back a Snickers bar. So that's what you want that in a relationship, so ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> damn cute. My grandpa 
also fought in World War II, mm. also had a shit ton of kids, and was also a custodian. <gasps> That's a fun fact. Custodian fams. Yes, uh, we love a custodian family. Yeah, I I I went to that high school. Um, and I was like, I mean, because it's from my mom's side, I didn't have the same last name, but some of the teachers knew me from when I was little, so they knew I was, you know, Jack Mangan's granddaughter. Um, and then other people, when they'd find out, they'd be like, oh, my, like, he was a legend. Um, I, like, people loved Aww, him. Um, so yeah, so he was, a, he, was, he was a very, very Irish Catholic Northeast. He was originally from Jersey um, and very, like, sarcastic. You know, he'd call the girls ugly, you know, kind of thing. But, like, that's how you knew he liked you sort of way. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so he was one of those. They'd be like, oh, Jack, he was always saying the, the darndest things. Like, yeah, that sounds like my grandpa. <laughs> That's so cute. I love that. Wow. But yeah, I hope that I hope that uh uplifted and that made me feel a little bit better because I was yeah, I was feeling a little low there. <laughs> yeah, this same. Was... All right, guys. We survived three whole chapters tonight, and they're three of the roughest chapters. So I'm legitimately proud of everyone for making it through to the end of this episode special shout out everyone Mike Land's one who has to edit this episode so mad props to her mm-hmm. and yeah we said we'd be a little loose with the schedule so we were going to try to get through 11 we're not feeling it so we're gonna put that off until the next episode um so we should be back with chapters 11 through 15 so 11 to the end and then we're done with it we don't read this book anymore we could treat happy things. We're so close. Oh Putting it in a box. <laughs> Putting it in a box and we're not revisiting that trauma. <laughs> um, for a yeah. while. <laughs> so we will uh, we'll catch you next week for the next installment of this. And in the meantime, take a lot of deep breaths. Take care of yourselves. And we love Go you. Go grab a Snickers bar. Yeah, go grab That's a Snickers bar. I, go grab absolutely. your candy of choice or have your partner grab your candy of choice and take it easy. <laughs> yeah, take a nap. Yeah, yeah, take a nap. You deserve a nap. You do. You do. <laughs> Bye.